Let's get into the message, shall we? We're in the book of Acts right now, and if you want to jump there, you can go to Acts chapter 22. We're going to read the last verse of that before we dive into Acts 23. First, I'm going to share a little bit of story that probably some of you know, but many of you don't. Several years ago, I used to do a lot of missions work around the world, and I had the opportunity a couple times to travel to a very large country and bring the gospel to a people group that had never heard it before. It was a very kind of bold ambitious, um, front lines kind of effort that we got to be a part of. And how it worked is I showed up and it was all very covert, very kind of under undercover operation. And there were code names involved and code names for people. And it was crazy awesome. I mean, it's the closest I will ever get to being a secret agent, right? And we show up there and, and our, the guy who has a code name comes and meets me discreetly. And it's you know, we get into a taxi real quick and we go off to a market and we buy a bunch of battery powered and crank powered radios and batteries. And we take it back to a hotel room where there's a group of people waiting to distribute these into different quantities. And then I had about 10 guys with me and we put them all in our backpacks and we could have nothing that was identifying of what we were there or why we were there or any of that. Nothing that would make it obvious that, that we were Christians. And then we went out and we hiked for a week and a half and just hiked through the mountains. We had a route that was specified for us, but we had to you know, use compasses and, and be careful where we were going. Uh, this was quite a while ago, so the technology wasn't as good back then for what we could do, uh, but we had tents with us and, and we hiked to different villages and we gave people these radios along with a card that was laminated and it told them to tune into a radio broadcast that was gonna not be turned on until we left. Because if we were discovered, we would be kicked out of the country and probably banned for life from reentry. But if the people we were working with were discovered to somehow be connected with us, which, which could, could happen, it could be very bad for them. And they could be persecuted, their families could be persecuted. So we just had to be very careful what we were doing. And as we went from city to city and traveled in the country, getting the things we needed and getting to where we needed to go, we started to notice that we were being followed. We had tails. We started to recognize our tails as we would go from one city. I'm talking we fly from one city to another city and then take a train to another city. And there's the same people following us everywhere we go. So we knew, you know, they were paying attention to us. And we, um, we had our stuff searched and we got interrogated and uh, they didn't find anything. And so we were able to continue on about our business and go distribute these radios and distribute these messages with people that didn't have anything that told you what it was about. But after we left, they were able to tune in. The broadcast was turned on from another country and they were able to hear the gospel for the first time in their uh, native language. And it was a really amazing experience to be a part of. And like I said, it's the closest I will ever come to being some kind of a secret agent. But we had to be very careful and clever in what we were doing. We had to be cautious and discreet. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't necessarily lying to anyone outright, but we were definitely not sharing everything that we were there to do and careful not to have that show up in any of our materials because as we were, we were searched and we were interrogated at times. We had our passports taken from us at times as they looked into us and were very skeptical. But as it all turned out and worked out, there were people that were introduced to the gospel and, and there was advancements for God's kingdom that were made there over the next few years because of the work that we did in this sort of covert operation. And I tell you that story because I've always found this verse uh, from Jesus to be very interesting where he talked about being as shrewd as snakes. Do you know what I'm talking about? As shrewd as a snake. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And it says, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. 
I've always thought that was very interesting. That even though in the Bible, the serpent is often represented in a very negative way, um, there is still an acknowledgement that there is a cleverness and a craftiness to snakes, a wisdom, so to speak, of snakes. You know, they're able to, to slither around unseen and unheard very easily. And you don't even know they're there until you, you know, pick up a bucket or something. Like, Whoa, there it is. I had no idea because they don't make a lot of noise. They're very clever in, in not being seen and yet doing what they need to do and, and getting that done and surviving and, and getting food and making babies and all that stuff. So they're very effective. They're cunning in what they do. They're cunning in how they, they get prey. There's all sorts of different ways you can see that snakes do that. And Jesus says here, I want you to be as shrewd or as cunning, or you could say wise, but there's even a little more of a cunningness to it as a serpent. But as harmless as doves, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. What does that mean? We get an amazing picture of that in our passage today in Acts. And so I want to show you how Paul demonstrates exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, sheep among wolves, shrewd as a serpent, harmless as a dove. We're going to go to Acts chapter 22, verse 30. We'll read one verse just to give us a little bit of context. I won't give you too much because John covered that last week. And then we're going to read from Acts 23. We're going to talk about this passage, and this is going to be a shorter message today because I want to save the last half of my time to tell you about something we discussed at our annual meeting last week. So that's coming. But first, Acts 22, verse 30 says this. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was all about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. And Paul here is like a sheep among wolves. Paul does not have a lot of support or backup in this case. And there are people here who would like to see him killed. There are definitely wolves around. And he is very much out of place here. He is in the disadvantage of everyone who is in there. And watch what happens in the next verse, 23.1. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God with a clear conscience. So he's starting to make a defense for himself. He's starting to make his case and he gets interrupted in the next verse. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, this is a different Ananias than we learned about the last couple of weeks. Ananias, the high priest commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Isn't that something? He didn't like what he was hearing. He didn't like where he was going. And so Ananias orders Paul to be slapped on the mouth. Now, something you need to know about Ananias, he was a particularly wicked priest. This was not a good guy. This was actually a guy who secretly was partnering with the Romans and was hurting the Jewish people and helping the Romans. This was a guy who was embezzling money from the temple that was supposed to go towards the salaries of some of the lower level priests to take it for himself. This was not a good guy. This was a guy that a lot of the Jewish people really hated. In fact, the zealots who were against Rome, they were also against Ananias, the high priest. In about nine years after this story that we're talking about today, those zealots are going to have a revolt and they're going to pursue Romans to kill them. And they're also going to pursue Ananias to kill him. And Ananias flees. And he goes to the only place where he thinks he'll be safe. You know where that is? It's the house of King Herod. So Ananias ends up in Herod's house, thinking that will keep him safe. And the zealots pursue. And eventually he flees. And he ends up in some cave somewhere. And they do manage to catch him and kill him. But this was not a guy who was well-loved. This was a wicked man who was known by the Jewish people to be a wicked man. And yet somehow he ends up the high priest. And watch what happens here. Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? 
Now, I don't often think of Paul as being this type of a guy who just retorts back with, yeah, God's going to slap you. I think of Paul as being, I don't know, I view him as this, this calm, gentle, older gentleman who is just very sweet and patient with everyone and loving. I don't know why, and there's examples to the contrary of that, I guess, in scripture, but that's just how I perceive him. I don't see him as the kind of guy who slaps back like that and goes after the high priest. It's kind of shocking to see it here, but it wasn't legal for them to punish Paul before he had been convicted of any crime. This is just a fact-finding mission at this point. Now, those standing near Paul said to him in verse four, do you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul says, I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So Paul thought that this was just another member of the Sanhedrin. That's the group of Jewish leaders altogether, Sadducees, Pharisees. And he didn't realize that Ananias had become the high priest. And that's who he was speaking against. And so immediately we see this remorse and this gentleness from Paul come out after he has this fiery response for him. Now, his fiery response response wasn't exactly bad. Paul wasn't even saying, I'm going to get you. He was saying, God's going to get you. God's going to judge you. He he wasn't saying he himself was going to take vengeance on Ananias. He left it to God, but he communicated that to him. And then as soon as he learns that this guy's the high priest, he has respect for this position that God has created, even though he doesn't have respect for the man who is in that position because he's he's a wicked man. And, And Paul certainly knows this. Everybody seems to have some idea of this. It reminds me of David. uh, before he was king, David, when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he wouldn't do it, right? Because he had respect for God's anointed king, even though Saul certainly hadn't earned any respect at that point. David still, out out of honor to God, would not hurt Saul. And Paul, out of honor to God, would not speak evil against the high priest. He's showing himself here to be as harmless as a dove. Paul is not physically gonna hurt anybody. Paul is not going to take up his own case. There is a role for justice and even for people to to enact justice on other people. In fact, Jesus talks about that. The government doesn't have a sword for no reason, he says, doesn't bear the sword in vain. The government is there to make sure that evildoers are punished, to make sure that justice happens. But that's not the case right here. We're, We're talking about a different kind of a setup where Paul is not in any kind of authority over these people. It's not his job to bring justice on them. And so he is as harmless as a dove. Acts 23, 6 says, Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. This is where we see Paul being as shrewd as a serpent. He stands up and says, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, because he knows there's a lot of Pharisees out there. And I'm on trial because I believe in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And the Pharisees are like, yeah, we do too. Now, they had different perspectives on what that meant. Obviously, the Pharisees did not believe in the resurrection thanks to Jesus. They believed in a different resurrection. But still, Paul shrewdly, cunningly, wisely used this circumstance to allow him to get out of what was a very difficult situation so that he could continue doing his ministry. He didn't lie. He, his hope is in the resurrection of the dead. He didn't get into the specifics. 
There's a phrase I really like, which goes, everything that's said should be true. Not everything that's true needs to be said. That's an important thing to teach your children. There may be observations that they have about other people that are technically true, but they don't need to be said, right? We keep those inside. That's not lying. That's just not saying everything because it may not be wise to say in that moment. And here is Paul saying, hey, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and I'm a Pharisee. That's true. All of that is true. And the Pharisees go, he's our guy. And the Sadducees are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You guys are on his side now? And so they actually start fighting with each other because of this difference that they have. In verse 9, it says there was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up and began to argue forcefully. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. I love that. He's supporting our view, so he probably heard from God. Because God agrees with us. So he's our guy now. And obviously, this is temporary support. The Pharisees are not going to love Paul in general. But Paul uses this temporarily to his advantage in a very wise and intelligent way. I don't know if I would have thought to say that, but he's like, aha, I know what's going to get these guys against each other and is going to get me out of here. And it's, it's not devious. It's not deceitful. It's just smart. So he can continue his ministry. As the conflict grew more violent, verse 10, the commander, this is a Roman, was afraid they would tear Paul apart. So he ordered his soldiers to go and rescue him by force and take him back to the fortress. So now, thanks to Paul's shrewdness, not only has the Sanhedrin turned against each other instead of as much against him, but because his life was still in danger and the Roman commander saw this and thought they may kill him, he moves in because he doesn't want a mob. He doesn't want a riot. He doesn't want violence. That's going to get him in trouble with his superiors. So he has soldiers go in and rescue Paul. Paul's life is rescued and spared because of this moment where he just has this incredible wisdom to say something that I never would have thought to say, but it saves him from this situation, saves his life. He's being as shrewd as a serpent here, just like Jesus said, a sheep among wolves, harmless as a dove, but as shrewd as a serpent. That night, verse 11, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. I do love the fact that Luke records for us this message from the Lord. The Lord appears to Paul and he doesn't say, Paul, that was messed up. I actually wanted you to die there. I was gonna use that. Like, why did you, why did you get out of that situation? No, he says, be encouraged. Be encouraged. You've got more ministry to do, more work to do. Paul was right to use his intelligence, his wit, his wisdom to get out of a situation that was otherwise going to, to probably end his life, at least that's what the Roman commander thought, in order to be able to be rescued, to go on, to keep on doing ministry. I think this gives us a beautiful example of what it looks like to be as shrewd as a serpent, like Jesus said, but at the same time, as harmless as a dove. Paul wasn't gonna hurt anybody, but he was gonna use wisdom, the brain that God gave him, to advance the kingdom. So I wanna just ask the question for all of us today, or the questions, what does it look like for us to be sheep among wolves. Jesus wanted to warn his disciples, you will be out of place. You will not feel at home in this world. You will feel like at times the world is against you because you follow Jesus. There will be times where you feel like the whole world has gone mad around you. Anybody feel that way today? Like you turn on the news, you look at what's going on, you get on social media, and you're like, this world is messed up. It is messed up, it needs Jesus. And we are out of place. We are not a fit here. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're here temporarily. We're passing through. And Jesus said, yeah, you should expect that. 
You are sheep among wolves, and there will be some people who actually come after you and attack you because of your belief in Jesus, because of your standing for biblical principles, and you've got to be ready for that and not crumble under that. But as you do that, as you face opposition, I want you to be smart. I want you to be wise. I want you to be cunning. Think about the snake, how the snake is able to to be discreet and move in different ways and be effective in what it does without always drawing attention to itself. I want you to be smart, cunning like a snake, but as harmless as a dove. I don't want you to hurt people, but I do want you to use your brain, be smart in different situations. I think Paul gives us a beautiful example of that. We need to be wise. We need to expect opposition. We need to use the gifts and the abilities that God has given us. We need to use the wisdom that he says, ask and I will give it generously to you. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. So ask God for wisdom and use that wisdom and intelligence and smartness and the gifts and the talents God has given you with the right motivations to advance the kingdom of God, all the while being as harmless as a dove. You can be all three of those things, sheep, snake, and dove, all at the same time. Paul gives us a great example of that. All right, that's my first message for the day. And I I had a really clever transition worked up here to go into another message, which is actually what I shared with our members last week in our annual meeting. And I shared it with our pastors and they said, you know what? That's too corny. Just, just, just jump into it. Just dive in. So we're going to dive in. So don't forget about the first message, but definitely remember the second message. Okay. Are we on the same page there? I want to give you a, a, uh, if you're a member, a, a repeat of what you heard last week with some more information, a little bit more to it about what our focus is going to be for the year here at First Free Church. Last year, 2023, was a great year. It was wonderful. It was really such a rebuilding year after a, a couple of really tough years through the pandemic. And we had a lot of people last year who were coming back to church for the first time in 2023. And we had this theme, this focus for the year called Back Together. And maybe you saw the shirts that people wore around, or you had one of those shirts that said Back Together. And, and We did a lot of things as a church, including meals in people's homes and a lot of other things to try to help us come back together as a church. And we're so excited for how that turned out. In fact, at the end of the year, we could look back and see that our in-person attendance grew by 16% over the year. That's really encouraging. And we... We had online presence that was, that was just the same as always. If you take our in-person and our online attendance, it never really dipped at all. It, it stayed pretty consistent. If the online went down, the in-person went up. And if the online, in-person went down, the online went up. But what we saw last year was a big shift back to worship in-person together, which we think is a really positive thing for the body of Christ. Now we want to build on that. We want to build on that with a new theme for this year, and you'll never guess what it is. It's all in. And we want to be all in with the family of faith. We want to be all in for God's church. I want to give you four ways that we can be all in and encourage you to do this with us this year. Encourage more of us to be all in for God's church and God's family and give you hopefully some compelling reasons that you need to do that if you've been kind of on the fringes and not as connected with God's church. So here's the first one. Someone who is all in for God's church makes gathering with the church a priority. Makes gathering with the church a priority. Not in a legalistic kind of way, 
You know, every time the doors are open, if you tried to be here every time our doors are open for something, you would be here all day long, every day. There's always stuff happening at the church. There's always ministry going on and Bible studies and all sorts of different things that are happening here at the church. But I mean, making the gathering for worship a priority for you. There are so many things in this world that distract us away from gathering with the body of believers. And yet, the Bible says this is supposed to be a priority for us. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I want you to notice a couple of things here about Hebrews 10.25. The first thing is that the early church was already dealing with the issue of people not making the gathering together for worship a priority. He says, don't give up on gathering together as some people do. Some people follow Jesus and then they're like, okay, I've got my fire insurance. Now I'm gonna show up to church occasionally, but it's not gonna be a regular thing for me. I've got lots of other things I need to do. I'm busy, I've got work, I've got sports, I've got other priorities. And those things drown out the regular gathering with the body of believers for so many reasons. We need this regular touch point where we're coming together and, and being with other believers in Christ. The second thing I want you to notice is that the meeting together is not to check a box. It's not because God will be mad at you if you don't come. It's not because you're going to get something amazing out of it if you do come. Although I hope that you do get great things out of gathering with the church. The reason given in Hebrews 10.25 is so that you can encourage each other. And I want us to really focus on that this year as a church. I hope that your motivation in coming to gather with the, with the body of Christ here every single Sunday is not so much about what you can get out of it, but what you can give to others. How can you encourage other people? How can you be a blessing to them? When you walk away from the church service after today, I hope that the number one question on your mind is not, what did I get out of church today? I hope that the question you ask yourself is, how was I an encouragement to others today? If we walk into it with that kind of a mindset, we're going to have an unbelievably built up and encouraged church. If you're coming here thinking, who am I going to find that's sitting alone that I can go introduce myself to? Who am I going to find that just looks like they got a droopy look on their face and they need somebody to talk with? They need a friend. They need somebody to invite them out to lunch. They need somebody to pray with them right now for what they're going through right now in life. That's not for the pastors to do. That's for all of us to do. Every single one of us should be pastoring each other, shepherding, caring for each other every time we're together. And so when you come to church, don't just come thinking, what am I gonna get out of it? How good is the worship gonna be? How good is the message gonna be? Am I gonna get in and out? Am I gonna find a good parking spot? Let your motivation be, how am I gonna be a blessing and encouragement to somebody else while I'm there? Don't give up on meeting together. Make it a priority for you, but do it for the purpose of encouraging other people in the family of God. That's number one. We're gonna call that worship faithfully. Number two is someone who is all in for God's church makes the one another's a priority. The one another's of scripture, one of my favorite messages I've ever preached uh, was called, what was that? Christmas in Connection. It was a Christmas message, but it was all about the one another's in scripture. And if you look in the New Testament, there's this Greek word, alelon, which means one another or each other. And the New Testament uses that word about 100 times, and 59 of those times are specific direction to tell the believers how they're supposed to be with each other and what they're supposed to do together. So if you were to take all 59 of those in a, in a list, which is kind of what I did in that message, and, and look at that as a guidebook for how we're supposed to be the church together, it'll tell you everything you need to know. You're supposed to do all of these things with one another. Here's an example. John 13, 35. Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. 
How you show love to each other will show the world that you're my disciples, which means our love needs to be visible to the outside world. Romans 14, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build one another up. That's the same word there, alelon, build one another up. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, so encourage each other and build each other or one another up just as you are already doing. Hebrews 10, 24, one verse before that verse I read earlier about not forsaking the gathering of believers. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We're supposed to be spurring each other on, provoking each other is another word that we could use there. Provoke one another to acts of love and good works. Philippians 2, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too, or look out for the interests of one another. Colossians 3, make allowance for one another's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive one another. Romans 12, let each or love each other with genuine affection. Love one another with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. I know that sometimes it says each other, but it's the same word. It's just how it's translated. Galatians 6 says, share one another's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. There's all these things we're supposed to be doing together as one another. This This is the list that God has given us to say, I want you to interact with each other in this way. It's to love one another, be devoted to one another, honor, encourage, live in harmony, serve, care, pray, be patient with, forgive, comfort, teach, challenge, provoke, sing, admonish, build up. There's all these things we're supposed to do as one another's. The question becomes, how do we do that in a big church? We're not the biggest church around, but we're big enough that we don't all know each other. We're big enough that after the first service, someone came up to me, introduced herself, and said, I've been coming here for 15 years, but I've never tried to meet you. I just sit in the back, and I come, and I leave, and, and, and I've just been here doing that, and I don't know who you are. And I, That's great. Thank you for coming up and saying hi. But we don't all know each other. That's the point. And that will always be the case because we're a large enough group of people that that, you know, based on where you sit in the auditorium and the, the types of things that you do, the activities you're in, the places that you serve, you won't know each other. So how do we do the one another's? Because a lot of these require us to be involved in each other's lives. They require us to have a level of trust and transparency. You're gonna confess your sins to someone. It's probably not gonna be someone you just met today in the auditorium. It's probably gonna be someone that you trust and have a relationship with. Well, we do this through our groups. Our groups is how we make sure we're doing the one another's together. And I believe that everyone needs to be in some kind of a group. John has said recently that real church happens in circles, not rows. The rows are important. The corporate gathering of the body together for worship and teaching is very important. But if that's all we do, we're not experiencing what God intends for the church to be. Because the church is supposed to be about the one another's. And most of those one another's happen and happen best in a smaller circle some kind of group. Now, we have all kinds of groups here. We have groups that are small groups that meet during the week. We have groups that are Sunday morning groups that care for each other. We have groups that are based on some sort of a need going on in your life right now. We have uh, groups that are based on geography, where you live, and so maybe you're close to each other, and that forms a group, or season of life. There's no right or wrong way to do this or to, to divide up as a group. You just need to be in community with one another, living out the one another's, learning to trust each other and building transparency so that you can do what the Bible says we're supposed to do as the body of Christ. So I wanna encourage you to make sure you are somehow connected and into some kind of group, some smaller circle here at the church. 
So being all in in God's church means making worship a priority, the worship gathering. It means doing the one another's together, and we do that best through our groups here. In fact, that's, that's how the early church did it as well. You know, the way the early church was structured, you had large churches of two to 3,000 people in Jerusalem, Antioch, Philadelphia, Crete, Ephesus, all these different places. And then they had home groups that were probably mostly based on geography for them because they didn't have cars. They couldn't travel 30 minutes uh, at 60 miles an hour to go to find someone who was a long ways away from them to have community with. So probably just their little community. They met in home groups most often, and sometimes they met together for worship together. That was the model of the early church. That's what we want to do too. Number three, someone who is all in for God's church makes serving in the church a priority. Did you know that every single follower of Jesus is gifted by God in some way specifically so that they can serve in the church in some way? Every single person who has trusted in Jesus has been gifted by God so they can serve other believers. That's the whole point of what we do when we gather here together. There's an emphasis that God places on serving one another in the body of Christ. In 1 Peter 4, we read, God has given each of you a gift, each of you a gift. From his great variety of spiritual gifts, use them well to serve, there's that word again, one another. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. The the point here is that God is the one providing the gifting and the power and the energy to do this, but you've got to use it. That's why it's a command. Do it to serve one another then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. There are no exceptions. Each one of you, if you've trusted in Jesus, has a gift that God intends for you to use to serve other believers in the body of Christ. Not as an obligation, not as a check the box kind of a thing, but out of a response to what God has done for us, the love that he has given us that he intends us to then show each other in the body of Christ. God saved you, not just that you can be with him for an eternity, but also so that you can make a difference now. And not just in the world, although that's true too, there's actually a priority that God places on serving and doing good within the body of Christ, within God's church. That's an emphasis. This has been really interesting for me to realize over the last few years, because I'm a very outreach kind of minded person. I like the idea of us being very involved in the community. I wanna see us do a lot more of that. But it's interesting how if you look at the New Testament and the way the one another's are talked about and the way service and good is talked about, there's actually an emphasis on the family of faith first before going out into the world. It's almost like you got to get the things in the right order. First things first, let's make sure that we're healthy and serving one another and doing the right things and doing good for each other here and then let that spill over into the world. In, first, or in Galatians chapter six, Paul says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. And then here's the thing that's so interesting, especially to those in the family of faith. We should do good to everyone. But there is this priority on serving within God's church, the family of faith, that God wants to be a priority. The family of faith is a priority for him, and he wants it to be a priority for us too. The way we do that is by serving it, by doing good in the family of faith. And sometimes this happens very organically and people just sort of naturally do this with each other, which is wonderful. But there are also lots of opportunities to serve in the church that we organize because it helps us to do them more effectively. We don't need everyone to serve in this way, but we need some people to serve in this way. And we don't need everyone to serve over here, but we need some people to serve over here. And we need it to be done in an orderly fashion. Our God is actually a God of order, not chaos. 
And so he created structure in the early church, and we continue to build on that to make sure that we're doing the one another's, not because of a checkbox, not because we need lots of ministries, but because this is an orderly way to make sure we are doing all the one another's together, that we're caring for the kids, and we're caring for the students, and we're caring for those who are grieving, and we're caring for those who are sick, and we're caring for those who need spiritual growth, and we're caring for all these different things, but we're doing it in an orderly fashion. And we do that through primarily our ministry structure as a church. It's not just to have structure to have structure. It's because we're trying to live out the one another's together in the family of faith. My wife introduced me to this concept uh, recently of cards at home. And you don't actually have to have physical cards like I do. But the basic idea is you think about all the responsibilities that you have in your home like, um, like a deck of cards. And there are different things on those cards like doing the dishes or repairs or mowing the lawn, or taking out the trash, or making dinner, or lunch, or breakfast, doing the laundry, uh, cleaning. And you can obviously get way more granular with this. I put Wi-Fi on one, because that's like a priority you know, in any house these days. Making sure that the internet's working. There are all these cards. And a lot of problems come in the home when you aren't clear on who has the cards, or when one person's holding all the cards, and the other person's not holding any. As I've talked about this with people this week, I have heard from a lot of people who feel like they are holding all the cards, and they would like to hand some over to their spouse. You know, I'm not going to tell you anything about like which genders were involved in that or anything like that. But the cards conversation is helpful because it allows us to ask the other person if they're maybe stressed out right now. Are there any cards that I can take from you? Is there anything going on that you're responsible for? The cards conversation is helpful because maybe we both thought the other person was holding that card. I thought you were going to drop the kids off at school. I thought you were going to drop the kids off at school. Well, someone should go get the kids and drop them off at school. We need to know who's got the card right now, right? So these cards can be very helpful. And uh, I just put a cute little picture of a home on here. Does anyone feel like they need a deck of cards? Like, like I need to talk about this with my spouse. Anybody want to admit that? Like, I could use a deck of cards. They're, they're here for you if you want afterward. I actually have two of them. So here you go. The church also has cards, right? We've got things that need to get done, uh, things that help make ministry happen here, whether it's being on the tech team or being part of the, uh, the worship band or being a greeter or serving in senior high or infusion fourth and fifth grade or being on the care team or serving coffee, uh, being part of our facilities team, junior high, kid connection, Awana, preschool, visitor follow-up, communications, the welcome team, outreach team. These are all things that we've determined as a church. Hey, these are important ways that we serve one another and care for one another, things that we need to do here. And sometimes what happens is a lot of people, they, they come to, church, to a church gathering and they're a part of a church in one sense, don't take it a step further to say, I'm gonna be involved here. I'm gonna use the gifting God has given me to serve here in some capacity. And so oftentimes in any church, you have a low percentage of people who are actually serving in the roles in the church and a high percentage of people who are benefiting from that, often in ways they don't even realize when God says, each one of you has been given a gift, use them well to serve one another. Every single one of you is meant to be serving in the body of Christ. And some people will say, well, I love serving, but I serve with this outside ministry that's not a part of the church, and so that's my service. That's great, but what do you do when the Bible says, especially those in the family of faith? First things first. You've got to start with serving in your church in some way. It doesn't have to be in one of these established roles either. You may carve out some way of serving that I haven't even thought of, and that's fine. But the way that we bring order and structure to the ways we're supposed to live out these one another's together is not only through our groups, but also through how we serve each other in these different ways. And so we have, you could say, cards. Are you 
holding any cards? Do you have cards that you're like, yeah, I'm responsible to help out with the facilities team, or I'm responsible to help out with our, our preschool ministry? If you don't have any cards, then you need to think like, okay, where does God want me to serve in this church? And I know sometimes there are people who look at an open card, like the tech team, and they go, I'm not really gifted in that area, but I can probably put my hands on two things and move the camera around. And so even though I'm not like naturally a tech guru, I know that card is available and, and I'm just gonna go ahead and take it because I wanna make sure that that's done in the body of Christ. I think God honors that. It may not be something you're naturally good at, but we're supposed to be serving in the body of Christ. So who wants a card? You want a card? You want a card? You want a card? Congratulations, you're on the tech team. <laughs> who wants a card? You want a card? You sure you want a card? That says preschool. Ah, uh, second thoughts. What's that one say? <laughs> that says worship band. Now, really, second thoughts. Actually, these cards have a QR code on them that will take you to a website called efree.org slash serve. You want a card? Oh, man. This one says greeter. But uh, if you go to that, yeah. If you go to that website, efree.org slash serve, or just scan the QR code, if you want one of these, I'm just going to stick them up here. Uh, if you go to that website, you can see all the different ways you can serve in the church. You can sign up for something right away. We are, if we're going to be all in in God's church, we have to be serving inside the family of faith. Number four, number four, someone who is all in for God's church makes giving to the church a priority. We don't talk about this a ton at the church, um, but we, we need to do it more regularly. We've made an effort of that the, the last year just to be um, clear about what God's word says about giving to support the church. And this is really interesting to me. There is an emphasis in scripture on giving to support the church and in fact, giving to support the church so that it supports the staff of the church. Did you know that? That's actually in here. There are some denominations that believe that you shouldn't have any paid staff in the church at all, that it's all volunteer. And that's actually completely contrary to scripture. Let me show you what the Bible says. First and second Corinthians, Paul says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Anybody remember what it was like if you're a follower of Jesus, when you first trust in him and there's that eagerness and that zeal that you have? And then over time, doesn't that kind of die as you become more used to it and you get a little bit more complacent? And Paul says, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. That's really interesting. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. He's not saying you should give everything. Sometimes people misunderstand Jesus' teaching about the rich man to say you're supposed to give everything away and just sort of live a monastic life. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Jesus was making a different point there. But Paul is saying don't give according to what you don't have, but give in proportion to what you have and give it eagerly. Galatians 6 tells us about why or one of the reasons we're supposed to give to the church. Paul says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. First Timothy 5 says, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. And First Corinthians 9 says, don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? 
And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In other words, the staff and the priests and all the people that make temple worship possible, they're all provided for by the offerings that are brought in so that they can earn an income, a living doing that. And that's a structure that God himself set up. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. In other words, the idea of just like the Old Testament, that we are all together supposed to be contributing to the ministry of the church and supporting it from whatever our income is so that the church can have not only the facility, but the, which is kind of like the temple, but the staff to run everything, to, to handle the ministries, the, the altars that they had in the temple had to be cared for and cleaned. And there was all sorts of service roles in the temple that had to be paid for by those offerings that were brought in. And of course, here at the church, we support lots of missionaries around the world, ministries here in St. Louis, in addition to all the ministries that we do here and what it takes to keep the lights on and, and keep all the staff paid and all of that. All that is a very biblical model for the church. It's supported right there in scripture. We don't talk about these passages a lot, but it is in there. Now, a lot of times people will ask, how much should I give? And there've been people that look to the Old Testament and say, well, you should give 10%. That's what the tithe was. Those people forget that the tithe was just one of many gifts that the Old Testament believers in God were supposed to give. If you add all of the gifts up, it ends up being about 23.5% of gross income. Now, if you want to take the Old Testament model and use 23.5% as your giving amount, I am not going to stop you. You are welcome to do that. But the New Testament does not give us any percentage. It just says, give in proportion to your income. Give eagerly. Give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And so all of us should be giving to support the church. That includes the staff of the church. This isn't any different for us. This is a weird thing to talk about, but I think it's important that you know, from the very first day I started doing ministry, my wife and I have set aside a significant amount of what is paid to us by a church, and we turn around and give it right back to that same church. And it feels a little weird to do that because it's like, yep, it just came in from the church. Now we write a check back to the church. But that's a part of obedience. That's a part of our worship. We are supposed to be giving to support what God is doing. So I'm not gonna ask you to do anything that I'm not doing myself and have been doing. Not at all to prop myself up, just to say this is something we are all supposed to be doing, giving to support God's work in the church. Some people will say, well, I give, but I give to other things. I give to other ministries. I give to specific missionaries. It's wonderful that you do that, but all of those things, just as we've been talking about today, should actually come after our giving to the church. That's sacrificial giving that goes above and beyond the giving that we do to support God's church. That should be the priority in our lives. So we would say that to be all in with God's church, at the very least, means those four things. It has to do with our worship and doing the one another's and groups together. It has to do with serving each other. It has to do with giving together. And at its core, we're gonna call this worship faithfully, Embrace community, serve joyfully, and give generously. And as we talk about serving, by the way, I want to be clear about one thing with these cards that you have in the church. Some of you are currently holding six or seven cards in your hand. Relax. I'm not talking to you. Sometimes when we put out the call to serve, somebody who's already got like half a dozen cards is like, okay, I can do one more. No, relax. That's not for you. We're talking about people who maybe don't have any cards. Or only have one card. It's like, can you help out in the body of Christ in a bigger way? So that's our invitation to you this year, to be all in with us. It's gonna be our invitation to every new person that walks in our door. Don't just come here, be engaged with the body of Christ. And what's interesting about this is to be all in, really, it's a heart thing. 
It's something that's internal. But there are some metrics that we can look at, and it's wise for us as a church to look at those metrics and say, how are we doing? I can tell you that last year, after a big focus on back together, our in-person attendance grew by 16%. That's great. We look at that as an elder board and as a staff and say, I think there was some effectiveness there. So how will we know in a year if our all-in focus really worked? How will we know if that's effective? Well, we can look at some percentages, and we can see Have the percentages gone up of people who are attending the worship services, of people who are giving, who are serving, who are in a group? We can tell those things. It doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't tell us their spiritual condition, but at least it gives us some indication of was there some effectiveness there. And maybe, just maybe in a year, we can all have this talk again and look back and compare and say, wow, look at that. Our service grew by this percentage and our giving grew by this percentage and and, and our involvement in groups grew by this percentage. Wouldn't that be amazing? So because we're going to be looking at that, I want to share with you what those percentages are. And then in a year, you could go back and watch this video to verify that I'm telling the truth of whatever the new percentages are, okay? So right now, uh, in 2023, we had 2,681 adults here at First Free. Now, obviously, not everybody comes every week, but 2,681 adults. 37% were in a group of some kind. 33% gave any amount last year, and 26% were serving somewhere in the church. So whether or not you think those numbers are good or bad, wouldn't it be amazing to see them go up over the next year? That's what we're going to be focused on, because we do think that if we can make sure that we're all worshiping faithfully and giving generously and serving and involved in community together, we're going to see spiritual growth come out of that. We're going to see the one another's lived out. We're going to see the things God wants us to do and be as a church happen more if we will try to make an effort to do those things more. So I'm inviting you to be all in with us. And of course, we as a church are going to do some things to try to help facilitate that and make that happen. We have a new Bible reading plan, just like we did last year. This year's goes through the Old Testament and has different um, New Testament passages that are related, worked in there as well. So it's a really neat Bible reading plan that our staff actually spent a lot of time putting together. You can find that at efree.org slash all in. We want to encourage anybody that hasn't gone through Rooted yet to go through the Rooted experience this year. That teaches a lot of the things I'm talking about and the biblical reasons for it. It also connects you with other people in a really cool way. So if you haven't gone through Rooted, when you hear announcements to get involved in it, please do that this year. We're going to do a groups fair today. So if you're not connected in community, go out through these doors. You will find lots of groups that are looking for people. And if we don't have a group for you, give us your information. We'll try to put one together for you and put people together. We want you to be in community together. In the future, we're going to have a service fair as well to help you get connected to areas to serve in the church, but you don't have to wait. You can go to efree.org slash serve and find all the ways you can get involved and go ahead and sign up to serve in our church. One of our preaching services this year, preaching series this year, We'll have a focus on all in and teaching you about spiritual gifts and your abilities and your personality and how all of that can help guide where you serve in God's church and also help your relationships with other people in the church and your, in your family and at work, all those things. Throughout the year, we want to share testimonies of how God is using one of these four areas of all in to make a difference in people's lives. In fact, we'd love to hear from you. We've got a growing list of people that we can talk to about this or have already said they've got some testimony, but you can let us know at info at efree.org and share a little bit of your testimony. How has worship made a difference in your life? How has giving made a difference in your life? How has being part of a group made a difference in your life or serving made a difference in your life? We need to encourage one another to provoke each other to love and good works and build each other up. And so to do that, we're gonna share testimonies throughout the year, stories of God at work among us. 
And the last thing I'll mention is we're gonna relaunch a mentoring program to help us become better leaders and servers within the church and in the community as well. So you can see all of these things at efree.org slash all in. Wouldn't it be amazing if a year from now, not only could we look at the percentages going up, but we could just see it. We could just sense it, an excitement, a thriving community, a community that is so all in for God's church that it spills over into the surrounding community and more people look at that. And just as Jesus said, they see our love for one another and they go, wow, there's something different about you guys. I want some of that. I wanna learn more about that. What an amazing testimony that would be. So last year was back together. This year is all in. Next year, we're already thinking about what that's going to be, but we're not gonna get ahead of ourselves. We're gonna try to build on this let's try to be all in this year. If you would like one of these amazing t-shirts, you can actually purchase one out in the lobby area. There's a hallway there where, if you know where our old nursery area was, you can buy a t-shirt. We're not making money off of them. We're selling them for, for what we paid for them. Or there's even a quarter zip. If There's still a little cold weather left. So you could grab one of those that has the logo right over here. I have loved going around and like just going into stores and you see people with their back together shirt on. So I'd love to see more of us out there with our all in shirts. And you know what? Somebody asks you a question about it, you can share what it's all about. Maybe invite them to church. It can be a tool to communicate with people in the community about what Jesus is doing here. I'm gonna ask if you would, just bow your heads with me. Let's pray for God's ministry through us this year as a church. God, I wanna, I wanna just remember and be reminded, all of us to remember, that the church is not about the pastors. It's not about the staff. Even though the work we do is important here, I don't wanna minimize that. But our job is to equip the believers for the work of the ministry, you said in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. That's a big part of what we're here to do, Lord. And I pray that this year would be a year that more and more people at First Free would say, I'm all in on God's church. I wanna be a part of it. I wanna be involved. I wanna be helping. I wanna be serving. I wanna be giving. I wanna be in community here. I wanna be faithful in worship here, Lord. And I pray that we would see growth come out of that, that, that it wouldn't just be a check the box thing but that hearts would be transformed and that more people would be reached with the message of Jesus because of the difference you make in our lives, Lord. Help us to do what you commanded us to do in scripture. Help us to encourage and provoke each other and challenge each other to care and pray for one another, Lord. I pray that, that our gathering with a family of faith would be such a priority to us and such a big difference in our lives that to miss it would be tragic. To, to miss it, to go without it for any length of time would feel like, oh man, I'm really missing out on something because I need that connection to God's family. I pray that you would use it to draw us close to you and use it to represent you better in this world, Lord. God, we're gonna pray, we're gonna sing to you now a, a, a song of how amazing you are, how you've made such a difference in our lives and how we worship you, God. I pray that one expression of our worship this year would be that we are all in for your family, for your church. And in your name we pray, amen.